This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you this holiday week? I'm doing very well. I'm looking forward to the holiday weekend. Looking forward to spending some time with the family during Thanksgiving, which uh, if people are listening right now, uh, at least take one earbud out so you can be present during your uh, family's dinner. Yes, and for our Thanksgiving special, Lance, we uh, we traveled to New York City, the city that never sleeps, to see Kevin Balf and Elise Powers of CrimeCon, of Red Seat Ventures. They are the people behind CrimeCon. Check it out at CrimeCon.com. We get into some, some of what they did at their latest event called CrowdSolve in Seattle that took place in October of 2019, and they've got another one of those coming up in Chicago in February 2020. So check that out on CrimeCon.com. Yeah, we got into a really good conversation with Kevin and Elise about this because CrowdSolve is 
the offshoot of CrimeCon where it's hyper-focused on one case. They have uh, law enforcement, family, uh, friends of victims, victims themselves, and they're given evidence and they attend lectures from experts in criminology, how to interview uh, potential persons of interest, and then they, they rotate and they come together later on and they try to uncover something that maybe law enforcement couldn't see just from being too close to the case. And they actually walk away with some really interesting findings, and it's very educational. And the way Kevin describes it is really eloquent, and the, 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 the mission statement behind it is this is how to utilize your power as a citizen detective. Right. You don't have to feel bad about being in crime media. You just have to be thoughtful and responsible. And what they're doing is quite revolutionary, I would say. And I commend every law enforcement agency who tries to take that step with them. I think it's remarkable. Yeah, exactly. And it's very productive, and they see how to use that in order to move a case forward. And we were reassured that Chicago in February, it's February 21st to the 23rd, although we're talking Chicago in February, Kevin assured us most of it is going to be inside. Actually, all of it's going to be inside. So do not worry about any sort of uh, need to pack uh, additional parkas. Well, thank you very much. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Kevin and Elise. Wanted to let you know that we are very aware of what's going on in the Maura Murray community, oddness that's out there. We will uh, address this stuff in future episodes, but uh, but not today. So uh, thank you very much, and hope you enjoy your holiday weekend. We are here in New York City at Red Seat Ventures at CrimeCon headquarters with Kevin Balf and Elise Powers. What is going on, you two? Elise, what's going on? Not much. <laughs> Elise refuses to get by the mic, as you guys see, so I'm going to have to translate for she her. She actually took the mic and threw it on the floor. <laughs> it's, it's a callback to uh, your podcast uh, on the on the CrimeCon podcast from uh, a year and a, a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if everybody has the, th- you know, the opposite of the thing, like her, hers would be dogs and microphones, right? That'd be exact opposite <laughs> end of your life scale. Right. Oh, one thing you really love and one yeah. thing you, they're at complete yeah. opposite ends. So, uh, what's been going on? Uh, we've been busy. We just did uh, a first crowd solve event in Seattle. Um, and then, uh, we are starting into, uh, Orlando planning. We got another crowd solve in Chicago starting into Orlando. And then we have a little cruise coming up next year. Oh too. my gosh. Okay. So anybody who doesn't know you, this company produces the very fantastic, the fine crime con, which is going on year four. Yes. And you've then branched out to, uh, this crowd solve thing. Yes. And, and the first one was Seattle. Yep. Explain what the purpose of crowd solve is. Meaning, am I going to go there? have a couple of cocktails, get hammered, talk to uh, crime fans, or mm-hmm. am I going to get my hands on some evidence? Uh, the, definitely the latter. I mean, this is, okay. I would say, if CrimeCon is like a buffet, this yep. would be like fine dining, mm. single entree sort of restaurant. Did you um, just make that up now? I did just make that up. Wow. Yeah. That is that is <laughs> the way to sound. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> CrimeCon is a lot of a little, and this is uh, a little of a lot. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. No, sorry, Did- the opposite. Crime Con's a little of a lot. This is a lot of a little. Okay. Either way, I yeah. know what you're talking Whatever. about. Whatever. Do you, you just make I mean? that up, too? I don't know. Been... <laughs> um, so this, is, this was really driven by Crime Con attendees, though. And we do, you guys know we do these very extensive surveys after the, the big events. And uh, 
we just kept hearing from people that they that they they love CrimeCon, but in certain instances where they would do a one hour session on a, on a particular cold case, especially that it wasn't enough and that they just felt like they kind of met the family and met the police. And, you know, now we're kind of ready to become activated and dig in themselves. And CrimeCon itself isn't really set up for that. It's very, you know, every hour there's something new and you're always shifting. Um, so it really came out of that plus meeting over the three years of doing this, you know, so many families and so many, uh, folks from law enforcement. And we just spent a lot of time trying to figure out if we were going to do an event this way, that was really a full weekend on one cold case, you know, how could we do it in a way that would, you know, stand for what we stand for, which is real education, real activism and advocacy and, and, um, you know, not like a BSE thing where you just show up and you like, Oh, I think the Butler did it. No real, right. How, how can we make this a real experience? So that took a while, but I think we, we pulled that off in Seattle and, you know, we'll see what happens in Chicago, but we're, we're optimistic. Before we get into the case that you focused on in, in Seattle, I think this really speaks towards the particular crowd that goes to CrimeCon and the nature of the the fan base that CrimeCon has. Yeah, you sourced the information based on what the people said. I mean, I think that's really smart. Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of criticize CrimeCon a little bit by saying these are people who are showing up and it's this morbid dark tourism type thing and it's almost uh, glorifying uh, crime and and taking advantage of of these uh, horrible tragedies. But what what you've done is pulled from that crowd and and created this thing that actually is useful in solving some of these cold cases that wouldn't be looked at anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're really proud of that. And we, yeah. I get the media calls and do the interviews all the time where I think that line of questioning is what they come in with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully in a lot of cases by the end, we've been able to, to shift that narrative and say, look, we, this is when we built this, we could have done anything. I mean, you, and you can cater it however you want. You know, if we wanted a convention hall filled with people in cosplay as serial killers. Sure. We could have done that. You know, we specifically have built this in a way, both programming wise, price point wise, policy wise to bring the right slice of the true crime crowd in. And I don't ever try to tell a reporter that the things that they want to say about what we all do in the genre don't exist. They do, but that is everywhere in life, right? There's Mm -hmm. bad things and bad segments in almost anything you can think of in life. And it's just on us to make sure that we're doing things the right way and, and uh, representing ourselves in the right way. And so, you know, when they challenge us, well, how could this, how are you not just glorifying? How are you not reveling in the worst day of someone's life? I mean, I think things like this, things like the Delphi panel you guys have seen, right? Mm -hmm. Indiana state police is coming in with the families. Those are important things to us where, these are, you know, we're really making change. Yeah. Um, the other example I used from last year is the Laura Richards, Dirty John um, example, right? She, here you had a media property in Dirty John that, that and, and the, ultimately the show on Bravo that um, educated a lot of people on coercive control and, and stalking for the first time. They understood it, right? And mm-hmm. domestic violence and women who've experienced these things can now sort of relate to a, a a real story, but in a media property. And then she comes on site and says, let's take this a step further. Now let's, let's do the advocacy for how do we take all the people at CrimeCon who want to help us make real change in terms of the laws? How do you take this back to your own state and get involved to say, Hey, you know, coercive control laws should be, should be tighter than speeding ticket laws. Um, and so again, how do you use the platform for change and good? I think those are, those are the ways we do it and CrowdSolve is sort of the next evolution of that for us. Yeah, I think that's great. I think you guys are definitely doing it. And, um, yeah, as Lance said, I, 
before, I, I feel like no one who actually has attended really has that thought. You know, I think maybe that's um, like a media thing. You mean no one who's attended uh, CrimeCon? Yeah I, yeah, I don't think they they are, you know, think that this isn't about victims or, yeah. you know, this is glorifying things. I don't think they think that at all. Yeah. I've and never had that feeling. Actually, uh, you two hustle. I mean, I, that that says a lot. Every every time we've gone to CrimeCon and we've left, we have a conversation about how we see you two running around. <laughs> like you were I mean, you are not the event planners that, you know, wear their Gucci shoes and and have like the slick suits on and and sort of put themselves in front of everybody while everyone else in behind the scenes does all the backbreaking labor. I mean, I remember talking to you guys and being like, and feeling bad that I took up like 30 seconds because you're so, you're, you, you're running around with, with just stuff to deliver to tables or to this or that. And I think that also goes unnoticed mm. by people that you put that much of yourself into this. And yeah. I'm, well, thanks for saying that. I yeah. mean, Elise probably more than me. I wear the Gucci and stand in the room. <laughs> um, uh, no, it, it's, uh, I was thinking this year I have to like actually get into a gym before crime, like start training or something. It's physically and mentally exhausting. I mean, from yeah. no sleep beforehand all the way, you know, through the event on site, you just have, we feel a personal connection and obligation to, you know, this isn't uh Comic-Con where, okay, if the, if a session goes poorly, then, you know, whatever Warner Brothers will live. Like these are, you know, when you're talking about families and you're talking about the content that we are talking about, it's important that things go right and that the structures are in place to, for things to go right. And that the, the right fans have gone to that session so that the dialogue is right. And you guys know, we handle stuff too. That's, that's pushed the envelope a little bit, right? We did cannibal Mm -hmm. cop last year, which Mm -hmm. I still hear about. Yeah. Um, we did it because to me that that's a really important legal interest, interesting legal issue going forward, right? About thought crimes, but without the right people in that session, asking, which turned out to be asking highly intelligent, uh, respectful questions, um, that could very easily be a disastrous session. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's not just plug and play where we set a thing up and go. It's, uh, you know, it, it is high maintenance through the whole weekend, but I think that that certainly helps it come out well. Yeah. So how long does it take to plan an event? Uh, I'm almost the year, you know, I, I mean, thought we, you're going to say like three months, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple days. We're deep into booking now for May. Um, mm-hmm. and we, and then we just booked our 2022 venue. So we're two and a half years ahead on locations. Wow. Um, okay. Shoot. Can I'm going to, I'm going to guess. At least has a great poker face. You'll never get it. London, Austin, London. Austin, Texas, London, Montreal, Mexico city. <laughs> These okay. are great, great international guesses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about CrowdSolve then. Um, this this year you were in Seattle in October of 2019 um, talking about two different cases. Yeah, well, not by choice. We right. So the, I guess the my elevator pitch on CrowdSolve would be this, if you consider yourself like basically a detective, you know, you, if you enjoy watching the shows and sort of trying to get a step ahead of putting together the clues and who did it right. If you're that type of true crime person, that's what, that's what CrowdSolve really is. Um, we spend a full weekend with one case file. Um, we have the family and law enforcement present. Uh, everyone in the room is under a non-disclosure confidentiality agreement. So everyone feels very comfortable to be able to really talk about what's going on without, you know, some of the the worries that happen in, in digital spheres um, and then we surround all that with sort of our relationships with key experts. So let's talk about Seattle for a second. Um, we chose a case, uh, and then, uh, about a month after choosing the case, 
a guy calls 911 and confesses as a 10 year old cold case. Yeah. Um, guy calls 911 and confesses the next day he recants his confession. Um, so we sort of, in that instance, were left in a difficult spot where, you know, we, what are we, if, if this guy really did do it and DNA comes back before our event, what are we going to do? We're not, there's nothing to solve. Um, but at the same time we had developed relationships with the police and the family and felt we owed them a responsibility to continue. So we made that case, which is the case of Nancy Moyer, sort of, uh, the first day of the event. And then we turned to a featured case where we gave it the full sort of crowd solve treatment for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that was a woman named Karen Bodine. Um, she died 12 years ago. She was strangled to death. Body was left naked on the side of a road in a sort of displayed position, which was f- fairly random. She had um, she had hit some hard times. She had done, you know, fell into some uh, drug use and a little bit of transient behavior. Um, but she had also come out of that. She was a mom. Uh, she is a mom. She 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 right before her death then sort of had a, a little bit of a relapse. Um, but it didn't, I think because of a lot of those issues, it didn't make news the way a typical story like this would, which we found really interesting. There was like one or two local news stories just from the day. And then that was kind of it. Um, really? And in talking to the police, they said, you know, I said, what is, if you've got one cold case that you think is solvable, what's the one? They said, Karen Bodine. He said, I drive by the memorial every day. I'll never forget it. Um, he said, I think, I think this case just needs a little push. And, and to us, that's what we can bring it, right? We can bring not only attendees, but we can bring local media attention back uh, and all the things that a cold case needs. Ironically, on the Nancy Moyer side, that's why this guy called 911, right? CrowdSolve was coming. A podcast had been dedicated to the case. Yep. And whether or not this guy ultimately is guilty, the pressure was created in this situation where he was like, I can't take it anymore. And he called 911. Um so anyway, as an attendee, I think that's the experience. You show up, we have it very structured. You're surrounded by experts. So in the case of Karen, the strangulation was a key thing. So we brought in a, one of the world-renowned strangulation experts to really talk about what that means, what was the ligature, what various marks would have been, what would have happened, what would not have happened. Uh, reconstruction of the crime scene was a big deal in this case. And then um, uh, witness statements, right? S- six, seven, eight people, all with very different versions of events. Who do you believe? What are the ways to sort of discern deception inside the statements? Um, 800 pages of case file. Uh, I think a thousand pages of photographs. Um, plus all the videos of the interrogations is a lot to synthesize. Um, but, uh, I think attendees came out with a whole new appreciation for what it is really like to be a cold case detective. Yeah. Is this, is this all presented in a, um, in like a conference room setting is like a sort of, do you have the the screen up there and it's a PowerPoint and someone's talking about it or, or are people gathered around a table all looking at the, at the paperwork and, and the, uh, and the evidence it's, so we did it basically like, um, trying to think how to explain it. We'd have like a general session where everybody would come in and that would be like homeroom almost. Right. So you'd start yep. there in the morning. Art Roderick, who's our chief investigator. You guys know him Shout very out. well, obviously. Shout out. Art A. <laughs> Let's go Pats. Um, he, uh, 40 years in the, in the marshals and other whatever. So he, he knows what he's doing and was able to really help us def- define the investigation. So what we ended up doing was like homeroom and you get assigned to a breakout group, A, B or C. And when you went to your breakout group room, you might be doing like means motive opportunity work and then be assigned like five specific suspects where we would give you their pieces of the case file, all their statements, their whereabouts, the timeline, right? Or you might be in a timeline group where your job is to reconstruct just the weekend of her death using all these witness statements. So 
then you'd rotate and we'd move oh. you around. Um, and then in a lot of cases, you also had to have an education before you could really comment. Right. So thinking about the, the, the DNA or the, um, the medical examiner that we brought in, right. There's a, like a one one session that almost has to go on before we can even let you into the case file. Otherwise this stuff doesn't make sense. Mm. So I'd call it like, you know, a third education, uh, you know, a, a third sort of like real detective work. Um, and then a third, like just great community relationship building. I mean, people became very close friends quickly in this experience because you're yeah. bonding. It's very emotional, um, and very intensive. Were there any, uh, standout people like, uh, anyone hired immediately for a detective position? <laughs> I think detective Hamilton had his eye on a few people that, oh, really? that were, you know, a lot of people also, you, you understand group dynamics. When you see a group like this is about 300 people, you, you know, some people, and you have to build it like this for, as event organizers too, where some people are like type a boisterous, want to lead the whole group. Right. And others who might have some really good ideas are kind of just quiet in the back of the room, mm-hmm. like very cerebral reading everything, thinking through everything. So ultimately, while there was a professionally facilitated end of the event where like meeting facilitators came in and did, you know, the big boards on the wall where you're doing word clouds and association to really get that crowd stuff. What we also did was because, you know, in law enforcement, everyone loves acronyms. We did uh, a case analysis report, a car, Ah. um, which allowed every individual got one for both cases. And that allowed each individual to really provide that information. So if we missed something in the group setting, it kind of got picked up there. Mm And then we're able to deliver, to deliver back to Thurston County, both great macro things that are, that are quantitative. So yeah. 72% of people believed this, uh, as it relates to this witness statement, 99% did not believe it or whatever, but then also the, the sort of real, you know, long form, in some cases, the more wild theories. And in some cases, the, the more tactical sort of things around testing of, of evidence or, or new lines of questioning for witnesses, things like that. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Now, you said that some people were more boisterous and some people were a little bit more reserved. But I think the common thread in all of this is everyone has that human condition of wanting to untangle this knot once they're in the setting and they know that there is some sort of uh, tangible or realistic conclusion. They want to uh, collaborate. And I think plucking those people from those different personality traits is really cool. Yeah. And, and then rotating and, and doing it again and, and seeing who stands out and, and then eventually like people become friends and it's this camaraderie thing exactly. and it's all this big collaboration, uh, which leads me to my question of, uh, is there any sort of, I guess, prerequisite that you look for when people are, uh, signing up for this? Or we is it ask, sim- no, I mean, we ask if you're, if you are associated with any professional law enforcement mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we have, there are some folks who have some connection, whether, even if they're just like a clinical psychologist or something that deals, but like generally speaking, and I think ultimately this is what the police said to us at the end that they were surprised. It's it, first of all, it's a self-selecting group. If you're going to pay money to go and be in this environment, because it's something you're willing to do, you're already passionate, you're already right. engaged and you're already intelligent. So that's great to start. And then I think they were surprised by just the level of 
um, the, 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 how good the questioning was so quickly from people who really aren't professionals at all, right? The, their ability to pick up on threads and pieces of evidence and things, which is what it's the fresh eyes approach that we were going for. But it, you know, it's always TBD, whether that's going to happen. Like they told us, listen, over the last 12 years, five professional seasoned detectives have had this case file as their case and there's been no breakthrough, right? So we feel like professional detectives who pick up the work of other professional detectives and get that tunnel vision of the way that investigation was proceeding, that's being done and has been done. We want you guys to like be on a totally different roadway, come in from a completely different side. There's no question that's dumb, right? If you think we should have asked someone something and we didn't tell us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think their openness and lack of having an ego about it is, is really key too. And, you know, to be honest, as we've gone around to a lot of departments to, to shop for cases, that's, that's pretty rare. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, think like anybody else, a detective says like, I don't want my work being questioned by 300 people. And no, no, thank you. Pass. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does that really say? That's just like, well, you don't want, you know, in this case, unfortunately, the questioning of your work is about delivering justice to a family. So what's the priority? Yeah. You know? Right. And also you're a detective who has other cases. Right. And, and it's no, you know, you have to get over that, uh, that, that ego part that says, you know, the, these people aren't here to challenge your ability to solve a case. They're here to help because they understand that, you know, this case falls down the, the priority ladder because yes. you just keep getting assigned new cases. Yes. And it's not a question of whether or not you can, you know, you have the brain to solve it. It's, it needs to be solved and we're here to help. Exactly. And I think us talking in the studio, that makes a lot of sense, but to a detective or to a chief of police, like, mm, what yeah. is the upside for me? You, you guys come in and solve this. And then the media says these incompetent idiots spent 12 years trying to solve a case and 300 average citizens did it in a weekend. Like, yeah. nah, I don't want that headline. No, thanks. Yeah. You know, that's the easy thing for them to say. And I give the, the departments who look at that the other way, a ton of credit because yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's risky to do it the other way. Yeah. And, uh, were they happy with the results? Yeah, they're, they're, they're thrilled. And I think they have, he now, I mean, the thing that he's not thrilled about is how much work he has to do on top <laughs> yeah. of all the other, you know, but new leads, but I say that facetiously, of course, yeah. he's happy to do the work. That's, that's why he's a detective. Um, but he, I think he's surprised by how much good stuff. And I think, you know, like anything else, it's a little bit of a squeaky wheel situation, right? There are a ton of cases that even in that county and that detective can work on. I think when you spend a weekend with people like us and like the attendees who get so excited and you see the family and the emotion, like it also clicked in him of not that again, it's not that you don't feel that before, but to see it viscerally for that long on site, you know, I think he went back in with a whole new renewed amount of energy, um, to say like, you know, I got a lot to do. I got to get to work. Mm -hmm. Um, and here's some, here's some new fresh ideas. I gave you guys one thing, you know, when we were talking before about a specific piece of evidence that a specific test can be run on only by one country in the world that has this machine and this small County in Washington state had no idea. Um, so sometimes it's just even making those sorts of connections and introductions that could be real meaningful in a Mm -hmm. case. Yeah. Communication. Yeah. And he probably deputized everybody, right? <laughs> he did send me a patch for my sweatshirt, nice. which I was super oh, appreciative nice. about. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And did, uh, did Art Roderick happen to give you, um, the U S Marshall pin that he was supposed Still to Still waiting, Art. Me? Arthur, where is it? Yeah. yeah. Well, he's not, he's fired for Chicago if I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mine's, I'm mine's in the mail. I'm not even asking for one. Yeah. Lance really wants one. You, you want one. I, do. I uh, you know, I, but it's never going to happen for Lance. I, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I don't you see it happening you, based you on know, what I heard. No, yeah. well, we can agree to disagree. Yeah. 
<laughs> Art's such a good guy. Yeah. And he's so good in this, in, in a situation like this, you yeah. know, he's, he's got the media understanding and training of how to respond to people and how yeah. to respond to, again, we got 33 broadcast, local broadcast hits, which was part of what our, what we were there for, right? Yeah. Bring this, you know, King five, the biggest station in Seattle is doing live hits from this thing. And, you know, and again, if you're one of these six or seven idiots who is among the suspect pool from this 12 year old cold case, the last thing you want to do is 12 years later, turn on the number one local news station and see a lead story having to do with your case being at this event. Yeah. yeah. That's just not cool for him. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, art's really good at, at doing the local media stuff as well and, and making them understand how we're trying to approach these events. And so charming. He is charming. Um, Handsome. What about, what, I don't know if you can tell us like the results of any of those percentages um, with the fellow who confessed to uh, uh, quote unquote killing Nancy Moyer and then recanted Eric Roberts. What was the percentage that people thought he actually did it? Hi. Uh, really? I don't know if you have the exact one, but it's, it's in the, it's in like the eighties. Oh uh, really? Okay. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. And on that one, because that's a now, you know, it's that went from a completely cold case to now basically an active, not basically, it is an active investigation. Yeah. You know, that's why we added the other case as well, because that case became now something that we couldn't go full in on because the police are now unable to talk about right specific things related to his confession and, um, and, and items and DNA testing and those sorts of things. So we felt like to really get the full experience, you had to be able to get into everything with nothing off limits. And that's what we had on the, on the Karen Bodine case on Nancy, because of this idiot, we, you know, we were left in a spot where that sort of confession, we had to like work around the confession. Right. Mm. Was there a consensus for the Karen Bodine uh, case? There is some consensus. It's a little bit more sp- spread out. Um, uh, again, I don't know if you have the numbers handy at least, but, um, but people, people gravitated to a few key people. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that even in that realm, that there are a couple that have significant percentages of, of people thinking like, if I had to pick my POI, it's this person. Um, you know, again, everyone's sort of hearing the same evidence and, and being privy to the same stuff throughout the whole weekend. You'd think that kind of most people would gravitate towards somebody or something, but that didn't really happen that way. One interesting thing was in the Moyer case, there's a guy named Aaron Huntley, who's mm-hmm. um, Eric Roberts' nephew. Um, and uh, we surprised everybody by bringing him in. Oh, wow. We didn't put him on the schedule. We just called it like a persons of interest conversation. And then we, we put him on stage with art. Mm. And, you know, I think for attendees again, in a, in a room with the door shut and on everyone under NDA to be able to say to this guy, right. Exactly what you want to know as if you were the detective interrogating him yeah. was like a really cool experience for everybody. And also give a lot of credit to Aaron, like yeah, for right. showing up to this thing with what, for what reason other than, you know, you want to help people get information. That's, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, or you have a big ego and you're a narcissist. I don't know. Some people think that as well. Way, it's a win. Yeah. How did he seem uh, to you guys? Was he? Uh, how did he seem? Elise. <laughs> he seemed like a great guy. Okay. All right. Good. You're making um, a gesture like he had sweaty palms. No. No. <laughs> he se- he seemed nervous. He definitely yeah. seemed nervous. But how could you not be? You're right. about to answer questions. Right. You know. Um, he didn't have, uh, you know, again, I'm trying to think how to characterize this without breaking any confidences, but he, he huh? Yeah, he, uh, he didn't, his answers were not always consistent. And I think our crowd called him out on that in oh, real time, wow. which then just led to further sort of like that back and forth when some, you know, you guys, we've all talked to people in all walks of life where you're just like, why are you just not, this does not make sense what you're saying, right? Slow down <laughs> and just give me the facts. Every day with Lance. 
Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I think again, to my earlier point about giving people that real experience, that is what it's like. You get a guy in an interrogation room and you're like, you, you just want him to tell you the, the truth and what, you know, that's mm. not what happens. Of course. Wow, yeah. It's obfuscation and backtracking and well, that's not what I meant by that. And we got a lot of that on stage. Um, and I think people were, people were frustrated by it. Really? Mm. Wow. What, what about art? Did he like shake them down? Did he like uh, <laughs> rough them up a little bit? <laughs> Took out a giant phone yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure art seems like a guy that was using some pretty, pretty awful tactics. Yeah. The other day. yeah. <laughs> make, make you dig your own hole. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wow, that's, that's fascinating that, that the Aaron um, came on to, onto the stage to talk about that. Would, did Art give any uh, insight? Like, uh, did, does he lead the conversation in that way, or is it? It's yeah. mostly for the audience to ask, or is it? Is it him start starting with the interrogation? Yeah, in that in that session, it was Art asking probably yeah. a half hour of of questions and kind of getting Aaron to open up as much as possible, and then handing it off to a, a long line of attendees at a microphone who hammered him for another half hour. Wow. And did you prep Art beforehand with this? Oh yeah. And okay. And so you said you're going to have about a half hour to sort of warm him up. Yep. Hmm. Yep. And, and our no had, had read, you know, our had been through the case file, had read every yeah. statement that Huntley had made. And so, you know, I think as taking him real back to his like, you know, actual law enforcement interrogation days, I think he pulled off a lot of those, those same skills. It was, it was cool to watch. I bet. Wow. Did Elise come in as like the bad cop? Yeah, she she would deliver water to the stage, or, or she would withhold water from Aaron and yeah. just give water to Art. Yeah, yeah. she would drink it in front of him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, are you thirsty, Aaron? Yeah. So, do you guys have your case picked out for Chicago? And my big question was, you're doing CrowdSolve in Chicago in February. Yes. Yes. Who? Because we're inside, guys. You're inside. inside. It's okay. cozy. It's, it's cozy, cozy inside. Okay. Heat, I promise. Okay. Yeah. You will not be standing out in the snow. No. It won't be zero degrees outside. No. Everyone's yeah. And you know, I think uh, okay, it's not the best time to go to Chicago. I admit that, but it, it no is the cheapest. It is. I was it just going to say it is the cheapest time to go to Chicago, and you probably get some great rates. Exactly. Your, so yep. people that always, you know, the number one thing we get is always about pricing and wise. You know, the hotel's like one twenty nine a night, it's, right. and it's, it's the Hilton Palmer House downtown. It's ridiculous. beautiful. Yes. So, <laughs> but it, that yes, the, the the restaurants are great there any time of the year. Yes. And did you pick a case? Uh, we have not picked a case. We have uh, multiple. Um, we have multiple options in multiple jurisdictions. I think we're going to, you know, we're not going to pick a Chicago case, obviously. Uh, Chicago PD is probably not going to, you know, do what Thurston County did. Yeah. Um, but um, we have a few and it's really now that we've been through one, we have a good understanding of what we need out of the case. Um, it's a little bit easier this time around as we sort of assess these files and really talk to the detectives like, you know, some might say like, oh yeah, we're in. But then when you really start to press them, here's what we need. Here's what we demand. Here's what we want. And here's what we need out of you, by the way. This is a huge commitment of time for the detectives. They have to help us in a whole pre-development process. Then they're on site for this entire weekend, not paying attention to anything else going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a big commitment we ask for. And and now we're, you know, we're not shy about saying what we need. And also, Mm -hmm. by the way, here's what we're bringing, right? We will get this level of um, attention to the case and um, you know, if there's enough time to spin up a pod beforehand, like we had in the Moyer thing, you know, t- to do that, um, there's a lot of benefits as well for the department, but we do ask a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So what about, um, the case files and stuff? Is that, is that you and Elise just going through all that stuff, like, uh, burning the, uh, the midnight oil, looking at, uh, f- figuring it out before you present it to, uh, the people you're working with on these events? No, 
Definitely not. <laughs> Damn. Uh, we, we brought in a, a very for... qualified producer for that. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for waiting until I finish that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole, that, that in itself is a full-time job. Like I said, t- we had two cases, so two 800-page case files. But mm. even if it's just one, you know, really having true crime experience where you've been inside a lot of case files before um, is important here because you really have to, it is a noise signal situation. You really have to figure out, okay, I could give attendees these 400 pages, but they're going to read them and come away with the same thing I did, which is a whole bunch of nothing. Mm. Um, And so attendees also need to trust that we're distilling these files out in a way that is going to maximize the use of their three days on site. Um, Because frankly, if we gave you the 800 pages, it would take the entire weekend to read it. Mm -hmm. All right. So how do we get uh, tickets to this? Is it you guys personally? No, no, no. (laughs) I meant Um, (laughs) give us tickets now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Crimecon.com has a link, I believe, right on the homepage or just go to events uh, and you'll see it. It's called Crowd Self Chicago, February, help me, 20th, February 21st. Um, And um, prices are going to go up. I don't know when you guys are going to put this out, but prices are going to go up one one. So if anyone is thinking about it, it makes a great holiday gift to experience with a friend or family member. Very cool. Um, This would be a good time to uh, jump in. Well, how do you, I guess one one question is how do you choose the cases and um, like, what is it that, uh, that goes into a, a case that makes this desirable for this event? Yeah. So on the choosing two two ways, um, and we do them both simultaneously, it's the sort of bottom up approach, which is we find specific cases that we have seen in the media or elsewhere that, or people have pitched us that we think are interesting and we'll go approach the specific law enforcement jurisdictions. Um, and then top down, which is to say we go to specific counties or cities that we feel are appropriately sized for what we're doing. Um, because it's not going to be layers and layers of bureaucracy. It's generally one decision maker who, if they're in, we get full, um, you know, approval up and down. Um, and we'll go to them, explain the concept, explain crowd solve, and then say, you know, here's what we're looking for. We have a law enforcement sheet that lists out our criteria. Um, and, and they pitch us on any cases that would be in their portfolio. Um, and then for us, I mean, I think that the number one thing is that the family and law enforcement are both completely in and get along to some extent. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be best friends, but they do need to get along. Um, you know, second, is there something to do with the case? Uh, you know, we don't want to just read and go like, well, uh, you know, there's, why don't you test the DNA? If the DNA, you know, if this DNA matches this person, he's the guy who did it. Um, we want, it needs to be a little bit more layered and complex than that. Um, uh, so that we can provide the education piece to that. I mean, I think number one, if we don't quote solve the case at the end of the weekend, what you need to come away with is you learned a ton. And I think if you ask anyone from Seattle, what, what the takeaway was outside of, did we solve the case? It's, they learned a whole bunch about strangulation from the, the, the only police surgeon in the country out of Louisville Metro PD, who's a strangulation expert. They learned about crime scene reconstruction and forensics from Karen Smith, criminal profiling from Dr. Godwin, the autopsy from, from our medical examiner who was there. There was just a lot of, um, we had a former U S Marshal Mark McClish who does statement analysis, just deception detective, how to read Uh a witness statement and look Hmm. for keywords and languages that that are inconsistent. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of learning that has to go on. Um, and so the case has to lend itself to that. Um, and then finally some geography, I mean, and again, in Chicago, it's not gonna be a Chicago case, but something from the Midwest so that there's some nexus to the local media is important to us. Mm. 
Right, some nexus to the local media so that you can put the pressure out there right. to whoever the perpetrator might be. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. And Elise, that's I think she cool. coined the term herself, but it's a, a solvability factor is Ooh. what she's called it. Wow. So I've never heard that before. So it's got to have a high solvability factor. Nice. Oh, that's great. There's like a meter. Yeah, exactly. I love See, it. You should really be on mic, Elise. <laughs> now she's is passing. Is there a uh, capacity limit? Yes. Or attendees. Yes, definitely. Um, but these are small. You know, you guys have been yeah. to Crime Con. It's 3,500, 4,000 people. Um, this is 10% of that. So we, you know, it's, it's got to be that way because the experience is so um, intimate in terms of the interactions, the breakout groups, the printing of pack. I mean, what did we print? 25,000 pages was something like that. Um, wow. Yeah. So um, it's, sm- it's going to always be a smaller you know, group. Um, and as such, uh, hopefully we will hit the max because I think the more people in there, the more eyes we have on it. Yeah. It's like cheesecake factory or Davia's <laughs> great callback. <laughs> Is cheesecake factory a buffet? Is that your comp to a buffet? No, cheesecake factory has pretty decent food, but oh. there's, it's, there's a lot to it. Gotcha. Yeah. They gotcha. have a big menu. They have a, they have a giant, very menu. big menu. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And Davia's is more of a fine dining experience. Well, thank you guys. Really appreciate uh, you spending some time with us about this and uh, learning some more about CrowdSolve and CrimeCon. We're looking forward to 2020. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to seeing you in Orlando. And uh, the dinghy, the crawlspace dinghy. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll talk about the cruise. Yeah. the cruise. Yeah. We'll talk about it offline. Sounds good. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.